0: Welcome to episode 14 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members' magazine, Unfiltered. Before the coronavirus pandemic forced us into a state of self-isolation, I was very fortunate to be able to travel to the Isle of Rassi, off the coast of Skye, to visit the new distillery there and meet the team behind its development. Before taking a look around the distillery itself, or sampling any of the spirit, I started with a fascinating tour of the island with distillery guide and RASI local Callum Gillis. He explained how much the new distillery has meant to the island and how it gave him an opportunity to return to where he was born and raised.
1: Five years ago, there was no distillery. You had no real kind of creative industries jobs in the island um, and now I'm back home, five minutes from work, salaried position. It's, uh, it really is unbelievable, you know. You know, it's it's hard really to imagine how kind of down in the dump sometimes Rassey felt a few years back. So, uh, it, I, can't, I can't believe now this has been three years of me living on Rassey now. Uh, wait, you, wait, you, were you off the island when you came back? I worked at sea. So I was two week on, two week off. I lived in Orkney for a year as well. Uh, just because there was no jobs here, you know, really. You didn't really expect to live on Rasse And then they called me up and said, we need a local who can talk to people, and <laughs> I moved back home for it basically. So yeah, yeah so, so is it just, has it been a kind of has it made made an impact on the island itself? I mean, oh, obviously yeah. you
0: and, and Norman yeah. as, as local boys. I mean, when you have a chance to come back and work
1: here, but is, what kind
0: of impact has it had on the island as a whole?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at the stats alone, you know, I mean, I counted. rasa has got about 170 folks on it, roughly. Um, now, generally speaking, we've got maybe. 15, 16 people that work at the distillery full-time. That increases in the summer as well. Now, Rassie's working population is not 170. Most folks are, you know, much older. So you've got the majority of Rassie's working population that lives on the island working at the distillery now. The average age is around 30, something like that. We now have, you know, this kind of regrowth of the economy. People have more disposable income. People can now petition more for... Houses, infrastructure, I mean, we lost our nurse cover just before the distillery was was built Um, and that's now been reinstated and it's probably partly because there's more demand and more voices, you know, shouting about that stuff. So it's a snowball effect. You know, these things build up after each other, one after the other after the other. Um, So, yeah, no, I mean, the next five years, I think, are going to be some of the most interesting in some ways. It's all very exciting now at the start, but seeing what comes from this, I think, is going to be really good too.
2: Yeah,
1: I know it's fascinating to see the fact that one one business can have on, on yeah. a community. I mean, something as small as this distillery, small in inverted commas, I mean, people would look at this distillery and consider it small, you know, oh, it's 200,000 litres per year, or, you know, we've got, oh, so 20 employees or whatever. But I mean, that's that's huge. That's a massive deal for a place like this. Uh, you know, Rass is the, the way I always say it, Rass is the same size and shape as Manhattan. It's about 14 miles long, about three and a half miles wide, about the same area. Um, so it's, it's a big island in terms of the space and stuff, but it's the, the little things that have a massive impact on the place, you know. And you've got you've now got, uh, your day job involves driving people <laughs> yeah. around the island and, I know, this and is, showing it off to them. This is one thing I, I really never expected to happen, it would have been this, like driving folks around and, and doing these kind of wee tours. I mean, showing people around the distillery is great because I'm obsessed with whiskey. And my other part of the job is, you know, taking photos and um, I, in my spare time, I love history and I love art, you know, so all of this works. So these things are like the combination of it all. You're talking about the whiskey, you're talking about the island, you're out seeing things and taking photos and seeing the history, everything. Um, it's, it's so much fun. It also maybe is a good way of uh, showing to the council that uh, road maintenance is also a priority here <laughs> as well. Oh, Land Rovers are good, but you'd, it'd be nicer if we had a slightly comfier car sometimes to drive around in.
0: We carried on a little further on foot while Callum explained some of the history surrounding the clearances of the land on Rassie, epitomized by what happened to the community at Hallig. So tell me about Hallig, what what makes it such a special place on yes, Rassie?
1: Yes. So Hallig's I mean Hallig's not that unusual in terms of what it is, which is an abandoned cleared community or, or a kind of homestead around Rassie. But um, it is quite unique in that I think it's come to represent that era of the clearances. It is a large um, township of what looks to be around 40 different buildings and sheiling huts and various things. And there would have been dozens of households up there that in the uh, kind of late 1860s, 1870s were cleared off the land essentially by uh, Rainey, who was the, the landowner of the time. Um, it was written about by Sorley MacLean, um, Rasse's probably most famous kind of poet and uh, creative person. He did uh, the the poem Hallig and it sort of came to represent, I think, a lot of the feelings around the clearances. There's a lot of really evocative imagery in there. It's an amazing English poem, but it was originally written in Gaelic, and I think it is the, the seminal Gaelic work in some ways. Um, but Hallig is amazing. When you go round the corner, we're at Ferns now, it's a good 40-minute walk from here, um, you've got this incredible kind of scope of the township that stretches across uh the the hillside and you've got the big fank which is the massive stone wall that would have used to kind of keep sheep and cattle and various things in and even to this day you can see where they were cultivating the hillside where they were working the land and stuff it's not really actually until you get in the air uh, flying or using a drone that you can really see just how huge it would have been now it looks like a few different assorted buildings but like i say there's about Forty plus buildings, all hidden underneath the ground, around there, and you can see that around here too. There's buildings everywhere. Yeah. We kind of are just used to not looking at them in some yeah. ways. What would the population have been like in in its heyday, or back at that time when it, it was those populations existed? I'm not 100%. If you check the censuses, they they tend to give a, a clearer picture um, right up until the moment of the clearances. Um, but there would have been upwards of a thousand people living on Rassi, um that were being cleared systematically north into the north of the island. Uh, you know, Rasis population much like the rest of the highlands was severely depopulated as a result of the clearances and there would have been halig here on the east coast but as you get further north you also have things like scrapedale which similarly huge massive place you had places as well in the very far north where we're going like umichan and Torin and flada where my grandfather from as well and these now just are place names on a map but at sure. one time we're you know bustling little communities that had their own little culture and everything like that too and what do we know of the kind of- whiskey-making scene, if, any, if, if anything, uh, that, that existed in the island. Now, this is the thing, everyone always calls them illicit stills. They wouldn't have been illicit or illegal back then. People would have distilled and they would have brewed and made things. And it wasn't illegal, but it did become illegal later on in the late 1800s. Um, there are two confirmed still sites around Rasey One of them's not that far away from us now. It's in Ferns and that's a bit further back down the coastline, the very south of the island. And it's near a lovely little river, so you would have had water running through perfect for, for distillation purposes. Uh, the other one is in Rona. And Rona is in the very far north. Um, it's, a, it's a separate island. Um, very large. Again, had a huge population uh, before and after the clearances. And also, funnily enough, used to have a um, the cells for, we think, a kind of monastery uh, or some kind of religious order. And, you know, old distills and distilling is very much associated with that kind of thing. So the two are probably linked in some way as well. Those are the two really definite still sites but they would have been everywhere everywhere you see a burn i mean there's a river running by us now probably would have had a small dam that somebody could have used uh, you know in the process of distillation
0: yeah and it would have been used as a form of currency really as a, a,
1: a as part of the barter
0: system i suppose
1: yeah definitely and i mean the thing is <laughs> we can monetary systems back then are a little bit different to what we think of them now especially on islands like this that were pretty cut off um, and even way up until the you know 1900s um things were different here you didn't have the level of connection um that we do now and even as we did back in the, the 50s and stuff you know it was a lot harder to get around and you maybe didn't value money as much in the same way as we do now either i suppose if you th- if the ex man was coming you could see him from a long way off <laughs> they always yeah they always say there's this thing where you uh, th- that people would warn folks who were coming you know so the excise men were coming over on the water and what they would do is they would hang out their washing on the line and that would kind of warn people in the hills and run off i don't know how true a lot of that stuff is but it certainly paints this quite nice picture it's a nice community working together to uh, beat the rule of law i guess so it's, it's a it's a quite nice uh, anarchistic view of the world in some ways but uh, it is great i mean there are so many stories like that around here and and that's why you know a lot of these as well are just kind of oral traditions a lot of this stuff's not written down a lot of it's just now been lost but it, it's really fun when you go Around these places, because you get a kind of feeling for that stuff, especially out here where it is pretty remote and pretty rural, you know. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine what it would have been like back in the day. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much unchanged. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that's the one thing that people don't appreciate, is that the land now is overgrown and overrun. And back then, it wouldn't have been that. All of this stuff would have been cultivated. It would have been a lot neater because people were here working all the time. Now we're kind of in the the post-apocalyptic stage. You know, the houses are all overgrown and everything is kind of overrun. But that wasn't the case back in the day. Yeah,
0: From our island tour, it was time to find out about how Rassie's whisky was coming along, with a warehouse tasting led by head distiller Ian Robertson.
3: American white oak, uh, Quercus mellenbergi, um, common name is Chinquapin, so, um, which I had hadn't really heard of until coming up here that Alistair had sourced and was really interested in trying it. Um, being alba, being the normal American white oak you would have seen and most likely have had if you've had a virgin cask whiskey as well so we just find that different species that just gives us a completely different not completely different characteristics you've still got those uh, classic American white oak like honey and richer flavours um, but I've always found alba to be quite floral when it's, uh, when it's a virgin cask um, from the whiskies I've tried of it anyway Um But yeah, for the colour coming out of this, um, kind of the rich, mellow, as you said, no harshness through the new oak. Uh, Heavily toasted and heavily charred. So yeah, very, very happy with how these are developing.
0: Rassie's co-founder is Alastair Day, who's come a long way from planning to build a distillery in the borders to finding himself on a remote Hebridean island. I sat down with him to find out how he'd ended up on this island on the other
2: side of Scotland, and his vision for what the distillery's spirit character will be. My great-grandfather was a whisky blender in Colstone, in the Scottish borders. And that company, the original company was called Janey Davison, established in 1820. And they were whisky blenders, uh, they had the brewery and a licensed grocer shop. And my great-grandfather left school in 1895, joined as an office boy, Uh, and ended up taking over the business in 1923. So it changed from Janie Davidson to Richard Day. And he carried on trading, uh, running the brewery, blending whisky, running the shop, up until the Second World War. Um, And by that time, he was about retiring, retiring age. So after the war, he retired. My grandfather and his two sisters didn't want to take on the business. They would have to start from scratch. So that was kind of the end of the business. Um, But in 2009, uh, I inherited his cellar book um, from my dad Um, and, you know, I I grew up with this book. The family talked about the cellar book and when I got to drinking age, my dad would always go and get the book out. At the back of the books, all the blends from 1899 to 1916 that my great-grandfather had produced. So one of them was the the Tweedale blend. Um, and the front of the book is a sales ledger, so uh, everything that they sold in 1881, 1882. Um, so in 2009, I talked to my dad, he said, well, you can have the book, but you've got to do something with it. So I went through the book and uh, realised that I could probably get all the different whiskies I needed to recreate the, the Tweedale blend. Um, so in short, nine whiskies in the blend, I went out and bought nine casts. Uh, put the blend back together, and uh, in May two thousand and ten, I sold my first bottle of, of Tweedale, and uh, that that was fine. I was still working in the food industry full time, doing that evening and weekends. Had you been working in the whisky world at that point? No, I, for food industry. So I'm. I, I got an honors degree in botany from Glasgow University, and my first job ever, proper job ever had, was uh, was growing mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, not no, not really. And then from that uh, working in the food industry, ended up in dairy. There's a little bit of similarity in dairy, and it's fermented, matured product. And I was kind of at that time, I was thinking, you know, I quite like my own business. Will I buy a food business? Looked at a few different food businesses to buy, and all the rest of it. And that's really where this idea of starting up, um, recreating the Tweedale blend, you know, bringing that back to life starting up my own business and, and that's, that's really where that came from and that's what got me into the uh, the whiskey business and by about 2012 um, you know it was getting harder and harder to buy matured whiskey to, to blend and um, I thought you know if I am actually going to do this full time it's going to need investment i have to scale it up turn it into a long-term business. We I mean, actually sit down and look at the investment that you need to buy new fillings to mature on, to you know, give you that long-term blending business. And I actually wrote the, that down and you, you look at it and you like, do you know what, that's about the same amount of money I could build a small distillery for. So I then wrote a business plan to build a Borders distillery and uh, then set off to, to raise the, the investment for that. And um, That's how I met Bill Dobby, my business partner and and the the sole investor in R&B Distillers. I was talking to Bill and he was saying, yeah, you know, Borders Distillery, yeah, I get it, history, family, all the rest of it, but what about the west coast of Scotland, the islands? And and Bill's best friend from school, Ian Hector Ross, was also talking to Bill and saying, look, his wife, Marian's from Rassy, he said, there's this disused hotel. So Bill was like, why don't you come up to Rassie with me? So May 2014, we came up to Rassie, and we came here, and we stood outside this youth hotel. I said, what do you think? Do you think we could turn this into a a distillery? And I stood and I looked at the views, and I thought, do you know what? This, this, this is the place. And uh, as it happens, my other great grandfather, paternal great grandfather, was uh, Al McDonald. He was on Point and Lewis. So I always had this family thing about being from these two opposite ends of Scotland and how different, you know, you've got the gentle rolling hills of the borders and the River Tweed and then up here you've got this kind of wild windswept landscape. I thought, oh, you know what, it really could. So that, that's really where the whole thing with RASI started. So uh, Bill and I, uh, we uh, incorporated R&B distillers in 2014. Uh, we decided to that we needed to have some whiskey out there and build our sales channel, start talking about Rassi. So we came up with Rassi while we wait and we launched that in November 2015. And um, we broke ground here. So we got planning permission for the distillery in February 2016. We broke ground in June 2016 and we started distilling in September 2017. Um, and so this year, in November, we'll have three-year-old whisky, so the first ever uh, legal Isle of single malt.
0: Yeah, amazing. But when you came up at that point in, uh, in May 2014, was that an immediate feeling? You
2: just sensed that this yeah. was the place? Yeah, it was. I mean, as you can imagine, five-hour drive with your potential investor in a car. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, we stood here and we looked at the view, we looked at the site, we looked at the building, the Victorian house and just realised that in actual fact you're going to build a distillery anywhere. Yeah, I mean, is it's a a, it's,
0: I mean, anyone who's been here will, will vouch for the fact that it's an absolutely stunning site. Yeah. But it must have come with its own
2: challenges as well. Yeah, I mean, it's an island off an island, you know, and you, you t- everything's got to come in the ferry to get it here. But we actually, you know, when you sit down and you think about it, what it does give you is you can do everything here you know so we've grown some barley here we've got our own well on site um you know we can mature it here so we've got two new warehouses on site so everything's you know everything's made here matured here we're bottling our gin here we'll bottle our whiskey here and that what that means is yeah okay you have to bring everything here but you don't have to send anything off rassy until until you know you've sold it um and i think if you look at the people we've got working in the distillery, you know, they all live on, on Um So that whole sense of place, you know, it's the environment, I mean we've been going round the island today and talking to the people that work here and live here, and it, it is a, there is a real sense of, of not just making do but making better.
0: Well, you can see how much it means to the community. The fact that you're employing people here, yeah. you're bringing people back to the island. You yeah. know, we, we've met uh, Callum yeah. and Norman, who, yeah. are, who are born and bred in Rossie, but Absolutely. maybe didn't have really good full-time opportunities on I the think, island.
2: I think that's it to see to see not only the young people coming back to the island, but actually having a future and a career. You know, uh, and and also the likes of Ian Robertson, who's moved here. Yeah married a local girl expecting their first child you know that's fantastic because you know it really is Yeah, you know, it's really given rassy a bright future
0: yeah and an island that you know historically was cleared yeah and then has gone through harder times under under different owners yeah. but uh, it feels like
2: it's it, it's prospering now yeah i think and i think it absolutely is and i think you know, other people from all over the world, you know, people from China and Australia and Japan and you know and just you know, being able to, if you like, showcase Rassi and people go away, you know, having sat here, had had breakfast and in the gathering room here and look out at the view, I think you go away with that. And you know you know, in an ideal world when you drink the whiskey in the future, you think of the place and the view and the people. Yeah. And it just makes it that bit more special. Absolutely.
0: And so let, let's talk about the whisky. Yeah. Uh, it seems from our look around the distillery and everything that you're doing, you're building as much flexibility and variety yeah. into,
3: into yeah. the product, product so
2: as possible. It's really important for us. So we are, uh, as, as you can see, just by looking at the distillery, we're a new distillery. You know, we, we want to be contemporary and we want people to look at and realise that we're contemporary. But at the same time, we're making traditional Scotch whisky. So for me when we were doing that, absolutely we want to make single malt scotch whisky. But how can we make that in a contemporary, uh, modern, advanced whisky making? How do, we, how do we do that? And for me it was looking at some of the other success, successes around the world. we look at Japanese whisky or you look at, you know, the, the craft whisky uh, revolution in, in the States and what they've done and taking that and bringing it back to to incorporate that into Scotch whisky. And, I, and one of the things that you realise that, that traditionally in Scotland, every single distillery would have their distillery character. Mm-hmm. And that is hugely important because obviously one of the the biggest of Scotch whisky is blended Scotch whisky and to blend Scotch whisky, you need to have every distillery having a unique. So I thought, and, and coming from that blending, background, my great grandfather and the Tweedie, and we think, well, if we build the flexibilities in the distillery, we can produce a number of different distillery characters that we then blend together. Now, the benefit of that is the fact we can make a younger whisky, but with complexity and depth. And you then add in, you know, how, how do you get these different flavours in? Well, you can't change... Aging process. You, you can't change the chemistry of, of how those chemicals break down to give you the flavour in the end whisky. But what you can do is you can introduce different flavours in a different way. You know, So we've got the different cast types that we tasted earlier today. So you've got the Quercus Mullenberge, the Chickapin Virgin Oak cast with a high char, high toast that give colour really early on. But unlike Quercus Alba, they don't give you that harsh virgin oak characteristic. It's much softer, it's sweeter. And the style of whiskey we want to make is, is lightly peated with dark fruits, so cherries and black And the, the, the Quercus Muhlenberg gives you those dark fruit flavours. And then you've got the Bordeaux wine casts that obviously give you the dark fruit flavours. And then you've got the Woodford's Reserve rye cast, So they give you a much more peppery note but it's still Quercus Alba, so you get those vanilla notes butterscotch flavors like that coming through as well and then we've got our unpeated and our peated spirit so there's six different flavor profiles that we then will blend back together again and so that's how you get the complexity and depth into into a young whiskey yeah and Inaugural release yep. later this year? In November we've got our inaugural release, so that's our lightly peated spirit. So it's actually heavily peated barley, 40 parts per million. We did a narrow cut one, so it's lightly peated. That's been in bourbon cast for two years. In November last year we transferred it into Bordeaux wine casks, so we have 12 months in wine. Uh, and that's that's the link, that's the step, that's the connection with Rasi while we wait. So we've waited with where we went. Then you've got, if you like, where we made version made here, the lightly painted-footed, and then you've got our single malt proper from April 2021
0: onwards. Yeah, and there seems to be a real sense of and what you're doing yeah. and, and doing, as, doing sense of as, place yeah sense of place uh, but doing as much as possible yeah. here on the island and also maturing the whiskey here as well yeah so
2: we've, we've the last three years we've grown barley here on Rosssey so we actually had barley grown in the field along at, at, at Mill Park there before the distillery was built uh, we harvested it before the distillery was built and then we dried it malted it and used it to make spirit. Uh, so we've got spirit here made with Rassi barley and then the next two years after that um, we, you know, we've, we've done it again so we'll have three years of that and the, the thing with growing barley on Rassi is that these, your standard commercial varieties, Concierto it. they don't ripen here, the growing season's not long enough, we've only got from May to August. So we've used these varieties from inside the Arctic Circle that have the same growing season and that not only does it mean that we can grow and ripen and harvest barley here, but it also gives us a different flavour profile than you would get from these standard varieties. So that that's interesting. as you say, we can actually mature the product here. So the big benefit of that is the same water that we use in the process we add back in when we reduce the cast, and we add back in when we reduce the water. So when we reduce the bottling strength, so that water. And the barley from here, and doing everything here, just makes it, well, rassy.
0: Yeah, and to, you know, there's other islands around Scotland that've yep. been making whisky for a long time. Yep, what absolutely. would you say makes rassy special? What makes it stand out?
2: So I think we, you know, we are a Hebridean island, and I think you know there is, as I said earlier, that rugged, windswept thing. But for me, right back when we started designing the process. It was about creating a smoky, lightly peated whisky with dark fruit flavours. And that smokiness and dark fruit, I think, is is quite different. It's perhaps like some of the older Beaumont styles. It's a style of whisky that people talk about, but it isn't really out there. So yes, there's peated whisky and there's fruity whisky. Most fruity whisky tend to be more apples and pears, whereas we're kind of cherries and black currants. Um, so I think that that's part of it That's definitely part of it But at the same time We are a Hebridean distillery And I think that's that's important as well
0: Finally, you can't leave this island Without catching up with distillery guide Ian Hector Ross Who helped convince his old pal Bill Dobby To not only invest in a whisky project But to base it on Rassi
4: I go skiing every year with Bill Dobby um, And it so happened that Um, It was about 2015 March, I think. Um, We were sitting around the table at the chalet, in the chalet. And Bill was thinking to himself, what could I... You know, I'd I'd love to do a business that wasn't finance, tech, algorithms, um, trends. I'd like to do something that's a real product. And we were sitting drinking malt whisky at the time, thinking... And I said, there's a product that's global. It's Scottish. It was around long before us. It'll be around long after us. It's recognised across the world. And, you know, it's, there's a cachet about it. Um, but how do you get into whisky? We know absolutely nothing about it other than tasting it. Did you not have any background in whisky? None at all, no. Um, just enjoying every you Just enjoying, yeah. No, my background is in sort of broadcasting and writing and uh, that kind of world. And um, so... That kind of enthused us for the evening and we threw across ideas. One of them was a, the, the kind of revitalisation of the, the tweed cap. Okay. <laughs> we kind of, I, I went off on that tangent for a wee while, thinking, oh, this, this is going to be the big idea. But no, that was a... I got an email from Bill uh, saying that he'd met... He'd put feelers out to the business community saying that uh, he was interested in whiskey projects, and it coincided with Alistair, who'd written the business plan for creating a distillery in the Borders. Um, so Bill sent me an email saying um, this was about November. Um, he'd met Alistair and he had been pitched this idea of a distillery in the Borders. What did I think? And did I have any other ideas on that? Um, and the light bulb went off my head, saying, "Oh no." If you're going to go down the line of building a distillery, it might have the very place for you. Uh, how about an island distillery? Um, you'll own the name of the island because there's never going to be another distillery here. Um, it's Your next-door neighbour is Talisker, so the whole whisky infrastructure and the sort of trade links and all that are all heading for this part of the world anyway. Um, the island itself has got fantastic historical stories, um, going way back to, you know, the Clearances, Bonnie, Prince, Charlie, poetry of Sorley MacLean. The geology of the island has, is, you know, world-renowned and studied. Yeah. You've got that as a backstory. And by the way, here's a picture of the view. <laughs> so, was he sold? He was quickly? sold in that, and in February he came up here... Um, I was very complimentary about The Borders as well. I didn't diss The Borders, but um, uh, by February, he was up here, Bill with his wife and his two kids in February in front of the, what looked like a, a house from a Hitchcock movie. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a hailstorm. And uh, I think Bill, Bill's wife said, to him, what have you done with our money? <laughs> 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 is, is how, what's this going to be? But Bill... I've still got it, and my, my iPhone uh, stood at the front in the hailstorm, saying, "This is where the ten-year-old Isle of Raasay single malt is going to be produced." And uh,
0: straight, he, he wasn't in any doubt straight
4: away. Any, he said, 10 years," and uh, you know that's when I kind of gulped and thought, "That is the timescale we're talking about," right. and that's just, that's the scale of the project. Yeah. Um, so here we are, um, three years down the line. Right. It all seems like it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we've got the warehousing, as you know, and um, it's all going to be matured. Never in our in my wildest dreams did we think that his commitment was going to go that far. Yeah. Um, yeah, look at it now. And look at it now. And there's all these people who are right behind it and involved in it. And, you know, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen in Rassi. And, you know, the fact that we've got a, We're talking about now putting a bottling plant in and, you know everything that comes with that, with packaging and fulfilment and orders and the whole, the whole range of talents that's going to be required. But so far, our experience is on Rassi, the talent is there to, uh, within the community, within yeah. the young community.
0: Or you're bringing talent back to the island But uh, well. We're
4: bringing talent that's out there that sees a future that can happen on Rassie. Um so basically, that's my story. The tail end to my story is, uh, so I ended up being uh, what was going to be Marion and my wife Marion and I's um, sort of quiet enjoyment of the island has now become me living and working here in the distillery and in, in, in all sorts of roles. But primarily at the moment now, it's into you know development of sales and things that I didn't really. Uh, See coming down the line, but I thought I had a romantic picture of myself driving around Sky in a Land Rover. Now, that is (laughs) absolutely what I'm doing, so uh, I'm not complaining in any way at all. Uh, But now I'm living in uh, a little miners' cottage in Inverarish in the village and I guess I'm as much part of the community here as you can be.
0: Whenever we do emerge from the current lockdown and travel restrictions are raised, I cannot recommend enough a visit to Rassie to discover its landscape, its history, its people and, of course, its whiskey. That's all from this issue of Whiskey Talk, but you can keep up to date with everything that's happening at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society and get much more whiskey news in our virtual members' room at smws.com. Until the next time, stay safe and cheers.